0: Can you see yourself? That's the title lesson. We're going to talk about Second Timothy chapter two, verse one through seven. A couple of comments before we get right into that, though. It has now been five years. I think I said something about that last last week, October of uh, two thousand and thirteen. And so, you know, coming from that uh, conference room to now being here, and then, sorry, Alice. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it, there has been progress, I believe, that is being made. And the emphasis, once again, and from the very inception when we came to Platte City, the idea was always individuals to grow and to develop and to mature spiritually and so forth. And certainly with uh, the involvement that we have with members now and, and with the teaching and so forth that's going on, I think we're, we're seeing that. But at the same time, it was always uh, there's a goal to establish a permanency here in Platte City, and part of that would be to one day move out of here and have our, our own place, but that that doesn't have to be that way, but that's something we're giving consideration to. We want everybody's input into that and, and what we're trying to do and so forth, because it is a a group uh, group effort. So in regards to that, uh, that's really what this lesson is about today, and uh, think about yourself and and where you fit in in the Lord's work, and what the Lord expects of you, and so forth. And, and so, we're going to take a look at three illustrations that uh, Paul gives to Timothy in uh, these seven verses. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you to do something that's very dangerous for a preacher to ask a congregation. <laughs> I want you to daydream for a couple of Do you ever kind of sit and think about like your life as a Christian and kind of some of the things that you do? And as I think about that, I I think, you know, we, maybe you do, I do, uh, try to talk to people. You might give them a card. You might invite them to come worship with us or to study with us. Uh, If that conversation kind of progresses along, uh, you might ask them if they're interested in, in studying the scriptures and so forth, and hopefully doing that. And if that makes progress, and they study and they come to understand their relationship with the Lord and what they need to do, that eventually they obey the gospel. And if they do, you rejoice together not, because now you have a new brother or sister in Christ. And hopefully, even though we would try to convert people to the Lord, but at the same time, if they're in this locality, that they might become a part of this group. And we would study together. And we would pray together. And we would try to grow together. And we would try to do the Lord's work together in this area keeping in mind always that one day we would stand inside those gates and we would see that river that flows from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And we would see the tree of life and you would look around (laughs) and you would see people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And we would rejoice together then your cell phone rings <laughs> or you get a text <laughs> and you realize I'm not in that heavenly Jerusalem yet and you look around and you think I'm still in Platte City <laughs> so what am I supposed to do, be doing while I'm still here in Platte City well I want you to give 2 Timothy in chapters 1-7 through 7 some kind of consideration as you think about that, and you think about what the Lord would have you to be doing, and what's what's the work that he wants us to do now, and what does he want you to be as you think about all of this. As Paul writes these words to Timothy, he's in Rome. He's in, in prison. But I want you to also know that he's not in prison this time the way he was in prison the first time. (laughs) Or we think about him being under house arrest, really. Acts the 28th chapter, and when you read about there, and Paul being confined, but still he had access to friends, and people came and, and went, and they talked to him and so forth. But this time, when he's in prison, he's in prison. And most would suggest that this time he may be in the Mamertine prison. Dungeon would probably be a better way to describe it. And so he's writing to Timothy, hopefully to get a letter to him. And he's going to encourage Timothy to try and come see him, but he's wanting to get this letter to him. And Timothy is in Ephesus, most likely. If you look in the book of First Timothy, Paul had left Timothy there as he went on into Macedonia. And so a lot of people think that Timothy's probably still there, even though when you read the book of 2 Timothy, there are some passages that would suggest that possibly Timothy's not still there. He may have moved on, but a lot of people think that Timothy is still in Ephesus at this time. The tone of this letter is different than the tone of the other letter. And a lot of times, we talk about the prison epistles, right? Those are the ones that were written the first time around, when Paul was confined. Those are Ephesians, the Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And in those letters, and if you look in Philemon, at about the 22nd verse, Paul is telling them, make lodging for me. Because, Through your prayers, I hope to come to you. So he's anticipating that he's going to be released. But when he writes this letter to Timothy this time, he's not anticipating any release. In fact, him not anticipating a release is the reason why, by inspiration, he pens those words in the fourth chapter that are so well known. I am about to be poured out as a drink. Offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but for all those who have loved his appearance. What's Paul saying? I'm not getting out, Timothy. I'll die here. But I wanted to get this message to you. And I hope (laughs) that you'll be able to come see me before all of that that happens. What we do know about this time frame and about these letters, that this is the mid-60s now. Persecution is on the rise in the Roman Empire against Christians. Life's getting more difficult. Life's getting more dangerous. Spreading the gospel is becoming more dangerous and more difficult. And as you read these words, you can clearly see that Paul is now passing the torch, so to speak. The older missionary evangelist passing it on to the younger evangelist. And I want you to notice first in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and about verse 10. Because as he writes to Timothy, and keeping all of that in mind, he says, But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Here's here's something you need to keep in mind, Timothy. That when Jesus Christ came, He abolished death. The biggest enemy that we have is death. It's not the Roman Empire, that's a threat. (laughs) The biggest enemy that mankind has is death, but when Jesus Christ came, he overcame death and he brought to life life and immortality, Timothy, and you need to keep that in mind. Some say that the real heart Second Timothy, this letter is found in verse 14. Notice what he says. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Some translation says, guard that which has been committed to you. What's been committed to you, Timothy? That knowledge that he talked about in verse 10. That when Jesus Christ came, he abolished death, and he brought to light life and immortality. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what you need to guard. That's the treasure that you now hold, Timothy. That's what's been committed to you. That's what I'm passing on to you. That's what I want you, he will say in Second Timothy, to commit to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And when he says commit that unto faithful men, that word men there means both men and women. I want you to take this message. I want you to guard it. I want you to keep it. And I want you to share it with others so that they may be able to pass it on also. That's the instructions, that's kind of the introduction that Paul is giving to Timothy. But in all of this, he tells him, it's not going to be easy, Timothy. You're going to face some real challenges and some real hardships. And so now, Timothy, I got three illustrations I want to give you that I think may help you out. And so in 2 Timothy 3, Uh, 2 and verses 1 through 7, he's going to give him these words of encouragement, and that's where he's going to talk about being a soldier, and being an athlete, and being a farmer. Before we take a look at that, I want you to think about this. As Paul addresses this letter to Timothy, he makes kind of an opening statement And then he becomes real personal with it. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. That's just kind of a general opening statement that he makes. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He could say that to anybody. But then he follows that up and he says to Timothy, a beloved son. Now it's personal. I'm an apostle by the will of God. But Timothy, I'm writing these words to you. What I want us to think about for just a moment. And that's why I made that clarifying statement in class this morning about making the application, right? That's what I want you to do. I want you to take Timothy's name out. I want you to put your name in. Okay? Now read verses 2 through 4. 2 to John, to Sue, to Brian, to Alicia, to Marilyn, to Estuola, to Marie. To Jack, the brethren. To James, well, to Larry. A beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Paul makes this personal to Timothy. And he says, I remember you. And I long to see you. And my heart's filled with joy whenever I think about you. But when he writes this letter, in this letter also 25 times, he's going to tell him, be strong. What I'm suggesting is, think about him writing those words to you and telling you as you live as a a Christian in Platte City, or Kansas City. You're going to need to be strong. No, you're going to need to be strong. No, you're going to need to be strong. 25 times you're going to need to be strong in order to do what God wants you to do. Let me ask you this question. When Paul says that 25 times, why does Paul say that 25 times? Well, he wants him to be strong. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? But you know what the flip side of that is? There's going to be times, Timothy, when you feel weak. So I want to remind you to be strong. Because I know there's going to be times when you feel weak. I want you to take a look at 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, right quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to read about verse, about verse 8. This is Paul talking about himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure and above strength, so that we despaired even to life. You know what Paul's saying? When we were traveling and we ran into some trouble in Asia, it was a scary situation. And we feared even to death. We thought we might die. And he said it was beyond and beyond our strength. What Paul's saying? Look how kind of weak right now. And we were scared. Back up to verse 3 and 4, though, what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That word comfort includes the ideal of strength strengthener, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now what's Paul saying? As he's writing this letter, to Second Corinthians, he mentions in verse 8, there was a time when we were scared and we felt weak. But you know, God comforted us. Why did he do that? He strengthened us so that we might be able to strengthen others. You know what Paul's doing in 2 Timothy? He's doing exactly what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians. (laughs) There's been times in my life, Paul is saying, that we felt weak, but God strengthened us. But why did he do that? So that we might be able to strengthen others also. And so that's what he's doing. And so when you think about the book of 2 Corinthians, and I don't know if you brought up the date or not this morning, Brian. (laughs) The writing of the book of 2 Corinthians is probably mid-50s. The writing of 2 Timothy is the mid-60s. Paul says, this is what I experienced a few years back. But now, This is where I stand, Timothy. And I'm writing to you. And just like I've been encouraged and like I've been strengthened, I want to encourage and strengthen you. Think about that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the mid-50s, we were afraid we were going to die. Where's Paul in the mid-60s? He's in the maritime prison. He knows he's going to die. And what does he say? I'm already being poured out. as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Does that sound like he's scared? Does that sound like he's weak? Doesn't that? Why? Because in chapter one and verse ten that we read just a moment ago, I know that Jesus Christ, when He came into this world, He overcame death and He brought light life and immortality. Death holds nothing over me, Timothy. It took me a while to figure that out, <laughs> and there was times when I was afraid of dying. But that's not the situation now, Timothy. And I've been strengthened by that. And I want you to be strengthened by it also. Paul saying, Timothy, can you see yourself in this situation? Because I saw myself in that situation, and now I see myself different. I want you to notice also, back in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, There. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse three and four. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, without as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see you. Being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Turn over to the fourth chapter now. Paul saying Timothy, I would really like to see. Chapter four verses fourteen through sixteen. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be you also must beware of him. For he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. First thing that Paul deals with is sometimes, Timothy, you may feel weak. But you know what else may happen, Timothy? There may be times when you feel alone. Timothy, I'd really like that. I hope that you can come. I hope I get a chance. Paul will mention some other people at the close of this letter. But you've got to keep in mind the situation that he's in. It's not like the first time when he was under house arrest and people were coming and going. He's now in prison. He's now in dungeon. People don't just drop by. And so when he mentions those people at the close of the letter, I don't know how recently that was or how long it's been since the last time he was able to even lay eyes on them. There's been some kind of contact there, but it's not like it was the first time. And so, Timothy, sometimes you're going to feel alone too. You know, Paul's sharing... Those concepts, those ideas with Timothy, what he's going to face, what he's going to challenge. So let me ask you Has there ever been a time when you would describe your Christian life and you would use those two words? I feel weak and I feel alone. You ever been that? I think probably all. And see, that's what Paul is telling Timothy. You're facing some real challenges. I don't know if Timothy ever sat and daydreamed and thought about being in that heavenly Jerusalem. but something would happen and snap him back and say, Until then, you're in Ephesus. This is where you operate. This is where you get up and go to work. This is where God has placed you. And he's got things he wants you to do. I think I skipped the whole introduction, so we're going to go to point one. (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7. Once again, Timothy most likely is in Ephesus. And you have to keep in mind the kind of city that Ephesus was. Ephesus was a port city. This was a city of trade. This was a city of commerce. This was a crossroads where people were coming and going all the time. Some people have said that Ephesus would have been like a modern-day Vegas, or maybe even a little worse. Some have suggested that in Ephesus, it would be kind of a city of anonymity. There's a lot of people coming and a lot of people going. And you don't know a lot of those people. And a lot of those people don't know you. So whatever happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. And above and beyond that, guess what else is there? The Temple of Diana. Idolatry. Pagan worship. A female God. Some have estimated that the temple of Diana could hold as many as 20,000 people. And on their feast days, their celebration days, it is nothing more than a big party. It is a scene of debauchery and of lust and of the flesh. Diana is the goddess of sexuality and fertility. And to be involved in worship in the temple of Diana is to just participate in an orgy. That's the way they worship. Timothy. This is your city. This is where I want you to go to work. And you think about a city like that. You think they're drowning in sin. But you think about a city like that. It's also. This is a city. That needs the gospel. This is a city. That needs the Lord. So, Timothy, here's the first thing I want you to think about. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier." Now, I don't know if you kind of lock in on those last words of verse 3 and 4. But people who have been in the military and those who are involved in the military, they recognize those words. Look at the last part of verse 4. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You know what that's saying? When you become a soldier... Never been there, but I've been told this. When you sign on that dotted line, you know what they tell you? You are now the property of the U.S. government. You belong to Uncle Sam. You're a soldier boy. From now on, you don't think, you don't move, you don't go anyplace unless we tell you to. You belong to somebody else. Timothy, you need to endure hardship as a soldier of Jesus Christ. You now belong to somebody else. You serve somebody else. You are not your own. Your time is not yours. You serve at the pleasure of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul would say over in Galatians 2 and verse 20, It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. That's why Jesus would say, why call me Lord, Lord, and then do not the things which I say? You're a soldier. You're not your own. And you serve somebody else for somebody else. Do you notice oftentimes now it's become a popular phrase, a common phrase, for us to see someone that is in the military, and we say, "Thank you for your service," has anybody ever said to you, to that, to you as a Christian, "Thank you for your service"? We know you're serving the Lord. You're trying to protect us from ourselves. You're trying to protect us from Satan. You're trying to protect us from our, from sin. And I'd just like to say, "Thank you for your service." Doesn't that happen that There's a lot of folks today who don't really appreciate what soldiers do also. so I won't go there. We have to remember, first of all, we're not our own. We belong to somebody else. Second thing we gotta remember is, there's a war part. Can you imagine if a soldier enlisted he goes to boot camp, goes through training and all these kind of things, and then he gets sent off to someplace and they go out into the battlefield and the first thing they notice is there's bombs flying around out here, there's shells whizzing by, and then they run back to base camp and they go, They're shooting us. And the CEO would go, Yeah. That's because <laughs> this is a war. And you're facing an enemy. And you know what the enemy wants to do? The enemy wants to destroy you. So yeah, they're going to attack you. And they're going to try to destroy you. That's what this is all about. And you need to understand that there is a war going on and you are engaged in it. You know what else you've got to realize? Sometimes we think about going off to war do you think that's the way it works spiritually? Or do does the enemy say, no, I'm going to bring it to you. I'm not going to wait for you to come to me. I'm going after you. Because you know what? The day that you made a choice to serve the Lord, you put a target on your back. You put a bullseye on your chest. You made a choice. To serve him instead of me. And I don't like it. And I'm coming after you. And if you don't come to the war. I'll bring the war to you. Each day. When we wake up. And when our feet hit the floor. You know what the first thing we ought to be thinking in our mind is? There's a war going on. And I don't have to go outside to get engaged in. Because the enemy is coming right in here to bring it to him. He wants inside your house. He wants inside your life. He wants inside your head. He wants inside your thoughts. He wants to be a part of what you hear, what you see, what you read what you watch, what you feel, what you touch, what you taste, what you desire. You wake up in the morning, and the battle begins. Sometimes Christians think, when I leave my home, I step out into the war zone. That's not the way it is. Satan says, no, I'm going to bring it to you. I'm going to come after you. I want to be in you. I want to be in your marriage. I want to be in your kids. I want to be in your house. I want to be in your schools. I want to be in your job. I want to be in your politics. I want to be in your country. Because there's no place that you can run from this battle. A number of years ago, number of years ago, my older sister, her son, which he's grown now, but at that time he was a little guy, death touched our family. And so she was trying to explain to him, because he had never experienced this before. In a gentle way as possible, that sooner or later, Death comes to us all. That we're all going to die someday. And he looked at her and he said, Not me. I'm staying in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Do we ever think that way spiritually? Do we think there's somewhere we can go and we can escape the enemy? I'll just stay in the house. Well, Let me tell you, Satan's coming in. Here. Satan doesn't wait for us to go outside. And if we don't go to him, he'll come to us. He'll come in your home. Do you remember Adam and Eve? Aren't they at home? And Satan come walking right in. And he got inside Eve's head. And then he got out. And then he got the kids. And he's been getting us every since. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, our adversary, our enemy, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's like that restless, caged animal that never stops pacing back and forth. He's looking for an open. Satan knows that he can't defeat God. Satan knows that he can't defeat our Heavenly Father. But if you can't defeat the Father, you know what the next best thing is to do? Go after the kid. Read Revelation 12 sometime. There's the picture. Sometimes people will say things like, Man, I just don't understand what's going on in my life. I just don't understand what's going on in my family. I just don't understand what's going on in our country. You want to know what's going on? There's a war going on. Between good and evil, light and dark. God and Satan. And you decide whose side you're going to be on. Timothy, you need. You need to see yourself as a soldier. And there's a war going on. And you're going to engage the enemy. Because the enemy is going to engage now we can spend a whole lot of other time, and I was thinking about this, and we ain't got that much time. We can talk about the schemes of the devil, the wiles of the devil. We could talk about putting on the whole armor of God, Ephesians the sixth chapter. I think you get the idea. I'm gonna move on.
1: You gotta see yourself as a soldier.
0: You have to see yourself as an athlete. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. And also if anyone competes in athletics. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, here, here's the sort of common interpretation of that. And here's kind of the quick answer, and then we move on a lot of times. Well, if you're going to compete, you got to compete according to the rules. You know, it's like you play a game, you compete according to the rules. And so, therefore, you got to follow the rules, and we kind of move on. No. I think there's a little more to that. It's something that we need to understand. I want you to take a look at Philippians, the third chapter, very quickly. Because as we think about growing as a congregation, as we think about growing as individuals, you need to also see yourself as an athlete. I want you to take a look at Philippians, the third chapter. And verses uh, 13 through 15. Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is not talking about heaven. And a lot of times people read that and they say, well, he's stretching forward, he's reaching for that prize, for that goal, and so he's talking about heaven. Paul's talking about growing and maturing spiritually is what he's talking about in Philippians chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he tells him that no one receives the prize unless they compete according to the rules. Well, is there a goal in mind? Yeah, there is. But I want you to think about it. Like this. Do you know in all of professional sports it has been said that one of the most difficult tasks to accomplish is to hit a baseball on the major league level. One of the most difficult tasks in all of professional sports on the major league level to be able to hit a baseball. Something think about. It. You've got some guy with a certain amount of athletic ability, standing on a mound 60 feet 6 inches away. 60 feet 6 inches. He can throw a baseball at 100 miles an hour. 60 feet 6 inches to the back of the plate, not the front of the plate, to the back of the plate. So from the time he releases it, till you hear the pop of the mitt, it's less than a half a second. In fact, it's gauged at four. 0.412. 0.412. A little over 400. Not even a half a second. In that half a second, a major league batter has to determine when that ball comes out of his hand, is it going to travel through the strike zone? Because if it's outside the strike zone, I certainly don't want to be swinging at it because I'll just strike out. So I have to determine. Is it going to pass through the strike zone? A major league hitter will also tell you they try to pick up the rotation of the ball. Because if they can tell the rotation, they will know, is it a curve or is it a slider? Because that's going to termi- determine where it passes through that strike zone. Or is it just a fastball? And is this guy a Rembrandt that can paint the corners? <laughs> and in that half a second, I've got to rotate my hips, followed by my shoulders, followed by my arms, followed by the snap of my wrist. I've got to deliver this bat at the right level, at the right angle, traveling 75 to 80 miles an hour to meet a ball that's coming into the strike zone at 100 miles an hour, all in 470 seconds. See why it's tough? Well-known author. Don't hold me to this. I think it was stunning. He said, one of the benefits of sports in society is that you get to see perfection. When he says perfection, I think what he means is that at that professional level, you get to see skill sets executed at the very highest level. So when a major league batter hits a ball off a major league pitcher and he does it well, (laughs) you say, wow, that's the way to do it. That's executed at a high level. And if you can do that, you can win the prize. I think that's what also. You need to think about yourself as an athlete, and you're going to have to execute at a high level to win the prize. Lastly, the farmer. I'll do this way. I got a lot of stuff here, but generally, when you think about the farmer, you think about that crop. And you think about all the work that goes into it. And there's the preparing of the soil. And there's the planting of the seed. And there's making sure that the weeds stay out of it. And there's the watering. And then hopefully, you get a copy. Paul, when he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, he said, we are fellow laborers together with God. Can you see yourself as a soldier? Can you see yourself as an athlete? Can you see yourself as a farmer? That if you're going to have a harvest, you've got to put the work in And then you've got to be patient. But Paul also tells Timothy that the farmer Verse 6, the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. You know, sometimes people look at that and they go, well, that's justification for paying a preacher. That's what he's talking about. Take a look at verses 7 through 10. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. He's just talked about the soldiers. And the athlete and the farmer. He says, May the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Think about what I just told you, Timothy. And the farmer, think about yourself as a farmer. You ought to be the first to enjoy the fruits of this. And then he says, remember Jesus Christ. What did he just tell him about Jesus Christ? Chapter 1 and verse 10. That he overcame death. He abolished death. And he says he's of the seed of David. He's flesh and blood. So are you, Timothy. I want you to remember this. He was raised from the dead according to my gospel. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not changed. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know what, Timothy? I'm enjoying the fruits of this. You know why? Because I know what Jesus Christ did. I know He raised from the dead. I know He brought life and immortality to life. And I know now, even though I'm facing death, I'm saved. And I know the reward that waits me. And the reason why I endure all this is for the elect's sake. I'm a soldier and I serve for someone else. I'm an athlete and I strive to achieve at the highest level. And I'm a farmer and I wait for the fruits of this crop. Can we do that? Can you see yourself? Paul wanted to encourage his beloved son. And Paul didn't want Timothy to feel weak. And he didn't want him to feel alone. And so Paul gives him these three visuals to help him. And he's saying, Timothy, can you see yourself as a soldier? Can you see yourself as an athlete? Can you see yourself as that patient part I think those are the encouragement that Paul was trying to get to Timothy, to help him to do the work that he was supposed to do there and there. I think that's the same kind of encouragement he would give us as we strive to work in black Can okay, you see yourself? Well, I extend the invitation this morning. Can in and all that are here, if you've never rendered obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'd encourage you to do that even this very day. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you've not done that, we'd encourage you to. If you're a child of God and you need to come back and make your life right with him, we want to help you all. So let us know if we can help. All together we stand while we're singing.